podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. Uh, you can find podcasts, interviews and content on a variety of subjects including mental health, football, films, TV, conspiracy theories, music and uh, much, much more. The best place to keep up to date for upcoming shows and guests is our Twitter page, which is at AceCast underscore Nation. You can also suggest shows and subjects or ask guests questions on our Facebook page and join our community of over 2,500 followers. Uh, today's show is on football, and we'll be discussing the Premier League season in particular, uh, but more so the remarkable roller coaster that is Man United. Well, Manchester United of this year has been very up and down. Uh, today's guest is returning for another show, football journalist and host of football podcast Beyond the Pitch, uh, Phil Brown. Welcome back, mate. Thanks for coming on again. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. It's uh, Yeah, Man United, it's been an incredible season. But uh, before we get into that, uh, which will probably take up the large part of the show. I just wanted to discuss something for you with you because mm-hmm. uh, I'm a Cardiff fan, Cardiff boy. Uh, the, our last experience of the Premier League was not <laughs> pleasant. Um, and, you know, you can speak to many Cardiff fans and you'd all have, they'd all have different views on where it went wrong. My personal view is Malky Mackay was never in the relegation zone, so he shouldn't have been sacked. But there was obviously reasons and things going on behind the scenes which contributed to him leaving. However, this year Cardiff had a championship squad of championship players. Not, not many of those players will be picked up by Premier League clubs in the summer. Uh, maybe with the exception of Neil Etheridge and the two lone boys, uh, Harry Arter and uh, Camarasa. I would say they could probably I'm play very, very good. He was very, very good. So, my issue, before the season, I said that the referee and standard in the British football system, particularly the Premier League and the Championship, over the last three to four years has been terrible. Mm. This was before the season. Now, this year, I think it's been even worse. And I think this year it's cost card if they're placed in the Premier League. Um, I have many examples, but I'm not going to go into all of them. But the main one for me is the Chelsea game, where you've got a player five yards offside, Cardiff are winning 1-0, there's 10 minutes to go. If they win that game, they changes everything, changes the morale, the momentum, everything in the change room, the club, the fans. They believe, and I believe they would have gone on and stayed up. However, Chelsea have the goal, which is five yards offside. You know, it wasn't even close. Shouldn't have stood. That cost Cardiff. Not just that decision. There was several over the last since Christmas. I, there's been about seven or eight just penalty decisions or offside decisions or just things which weren't even close. Now, staying up, uh, being up and being relegated or staying up is huge for a club like Cardiff because if we stay up, that secures everything. And now I know they get the parachute payments. But it, it, they can build on that. If they stay up, they can then try and bring these players in. Do you feel 
like the officiating has been up up to standard in the Premier League over the last few years. This well, season, in particular, I think first of all, stating the obvious, it's a very difficult job, <clears throat> and I think uh, I was reading an article where they had players going to refereeing course and referee games to see how difficult it actually was. And they were raising their flag for players being onside by five yards. They were they got an illustration of just how difficult it is to referee. Um, yeah. I definitely think the Premier League, there's leagues around the world that's harder to referee in just based on the pace of the game. Um, I think that the Premier League is extremely fast. The top teams will get more penalties because they spend more time attacking, obviously. Uh, and it's going to feel unfair to smaller teams. Cardiff did have some really terrible decisions given against them. Uh, but I think there's things that are done that don't help referees. First of all, I don't agree that if a referee, you can't go back and revisit an incident based on the technology because they don't want to undermine a referee's word on the pitch. But to me, and obviously we've got VAR coming in next season, which will improve things, but I think it does the opposite with players. I think if you were to tell players, look, if I've got this wrong and I see it back in the video later, I'll reverse the, the red card. I'll reverse the decision. You know, and, but they don't give referees that leverage. And I think revisiting decisions that are clearly wrong on the pitch should be corrected because you can't have a game where it's only cheating unless you're caught. And uh, I think it's very – obviously, you can't reverse results. You can't reverse real-time decisions. But you can reverse decisions that have an impact on down the line. Uh, such as red cards and things like that, uh, or retroactive suspensions for things like diving, which they're starting to do now. <clears throat> um, but if a referee sees an incident, doesn't and it gives a free kick, they can't revisit it. But you get it wrong. It's very, very difficult to referee. Very difficult. Referees are human beings too. And uh, yes, it's frustrating for fans. It's frustrating for managers because there's. A lot of things players and managers say, like, I think a referee should be interviewed after the game if he has a bad game. But you don't interview all players who play bad after the game. They don't have to explain their performance. I wish a microphone had been handed out to every Manchester United player to put on the shirt and made them explain their performances. So, you know, for me, it's a very difficult job. Uh, they're not super fit athletes the way a footballer is. You're asking one guy to officiate 22 players, most of whom are ill-behaved. It's hard. Yeah, and I, 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 I can completely agree. It's, it's an almost impossible job. Um, ironically, Cardiff finally got a penalty, and it was versus Man United, and it probably wasn't a penalty. Yeah, um, but And it didn't matter anyway. But, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Cardiff probably have had a couple of decisions over the season, but I think what highlighted it more for me was that it very much felt like the difference yeah. between They'd worked so hard to get to where they were. They wanted to take it into those last few weeks. But and to then me, when you feel if like you're a team, a bit hard done by, it's difficult then, isn't it? I mean, look, I can understand in a one-off game where a referee come in and lose you a game. But to me, over 38 games, a referee doesn't keep you up or send you down. Yeah. You do that. Cardiff are in control of their destiny from day one. You said it's a championship squad going into the premiership. Why? Why didn't they buy players? Why didn't they improve a squad? Then you don't rely on referees deciding whether you stay up or not. You don't reduce yourself to a situation where one bad decision can send us down. If you're in a situation where one 
or two pieces of human error send you send you down, that's your own fault to me. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think Cardiff got their fingers burned in the transfer market last time around. So they didn't. They went the complete opposite this time and didn't spend barely anything. And well, that did cost them in the day. But then you've got two examples. You've got Wolves, who spent money and look excellent. And then you've got Fulham, who spent over $100 million and went down weeks before Cardiff. So, I mean, it's finding that happy medium, isn't it? No, but to me, this is like life. I mean, if I hand you 100 million and you go out and squander it on, on nonsense, you still bought. You can't blame the fact that you bought it, but be on wasting on, on the fact that you don't have any money left. That isn't the reason. The reason is you bought it responsibly. You didn't yeah. think about why you want something, why you need something, how does it fit into my life. You didn't do the proper due diligence. Fulham didn't do the proper due diligence as to why do we need these players. I mean, there's some very good players there, but none of them fit within a, a system. We have the same problem at Manchester United. Manchester City, the team, when United played City, there was £14 million separated those two teams. But they might as well have been on a different planet. So you can't say, you know, we got our fingers burnt in the transfer market, therefore we stopped. This is why I have a real problem with people saying, oh, we're not going to bring world-class players to Manchester United anymore because that hasn't worked for us in the past. It has nothing to do with buying world-class players or not. It has to do with how you, what world-class players you buy and why you buy them. So, yeah. I mean, that, that, that is absolutely absurd to me. It's like saying, you know, my parachute, my first parachute didn't open. My second one did, therefore I'm not going to jump out of a plane without a parachute this time. I mean, it's ridiculous. So to me, I think it's not about buying, it's about buying properly. And if you waste money in the transfer market, you, you must blame only yourself for that. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, whether you've got 100 million to spend or 20 or 5 or whatever, if you know what you need, if you need a right back or a left back or whatever it is you need to make your squad better and to play the way you want to play or the manager wants to play, then you, that's what you've got to address. Um, we'll obviously, we'll come on to that. That's a, a big part of what I'm going to discuss with you. Last thing on the refereeing thing. Um, I do feel the referees need to be held accountable I do agree with you that they shouldn't be up for interview after the game because I think it achieves nothing other than makes people more angry in the long run. However, for instance, with that particular decision with the Chelsea, Neil Warner criticised the referee, rightly. We want managers to speak honestly after in their interviews. We don't want them to trot out the usual cliches. We want them to give their opinion of what's gone on. He was fined, I think it was... 10 grand well basically he was fined more than some nations and clubs have been fined for racist chanting and abuse uh neil warnock was fined more for criticizing correctly a referee's decision how uh, and by the way the same referee was refereeing a premier league game the next year next week so he had cardiff were punished or whoever whichever club it is they, those clubs get punished by losing the game. The manager gets punished for speaking out. But the referees don't seem to get any punishment. Well, I'm sure you. they get guidance. Let me ask but you How this. would you make them accountable? Okay, well, they're accountable because if they make mistakes, they no longer get to re referee at that level. That are, they, I'm talking about egregious mistakes. But I want you to put the shoe on the other foot for a minute. Imagine a referee 
was interviewed after the game and said, do you know what? Victor Camarasa is a cheat. Three times I caught him diving, and he told me to F off. And so did, so did uh, Mendes Lang. So did, and then he started going through the Cardiff players and calling them cheats and saying everything that they said because they were diving throughout the game or they were simulating contact and everything. All the mistakes that make a referee's job harder, yeah. right? Constantly diving for penalties. How do you think clubs would react to that? I think managers would react. They'd be apoplectic with rage. How do you know he was cheating? How do you know he was cheating? How do you know he didn't trip up? How do you know it was simulation? And this is why you have to be careful. Okay, let's say it was a human error. You know what? Victor Camarasa was horrendous today. Played really poorly. Made terrible, terrible mistakes. What would a manager say to a referee that said that? They'd rip him apart. Mm-hmm. Right? So why does a club get to turn around and rip a referee apart for making human error? By the way, if you want to make a referee's job easier, go tell your players to stop diving. Go tell your players to stop play acting. Go tell your players to stop rolling around when someone comes near them. And then maybe, maybe we make the job easier for referees. But managers complaining that uh, I didn't see Neil Warner complaining at the weekend about the penalty he got. I didn't see him saying, you know what, that wasn't a penalty, shouldn't have got it. Uh, uh, That referee should be stood down. I didn't see Solskjaer say that. You know, you take them and you get them. They're human error. They're human beings. VAR is helping, but this expectation that a guy making 100 grand a year as a referee uh, should be held accountable, but they shouldn't. Their players shouldn't for all the scandalous things that they do within a game of football to cheat, to gain an advantage. That's ridiculous to me. Yeah, see, uh, you know, of all the conversations I've ever had about that with various people, I completely agree with what you're saying. I've never looked at it as from that point of view, whereas that if the referee came out and started criticising those players for diving <laughs> or whatever it may be, it, you'd, you'd have anarchy, wouldn't you? Because you would just be managers and referees going back and forth. And then they get the favouritism in the next game because, oh, you said he was a cheat. The next time he gets a yellow card, it's because you think he's a cheat. You, this is why you can't interview referees, right? Because as soon as you get their opinions, the next manager, yeah. next time they see Same. him play, they're going to be accused of all types of favouritism, right? But they can't, players and managers can't have it both ways. And we talk about ethics and, and behavior in other sports, of rugby and everything. You know, in football, like I just said to you, it's only cheating if you're caught. And we've seen this time and time again of players who can consistently cheat, get away with it. They never complain after the game that the referee should have, should have booked them for their cheating. Never. So, I'm sorry, you want to make a referee's job easier? It, it starts with the players. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think... If players, managers, clubs took more responsibility to make the referee's job easier, you'd straight away see a difference in the quality of decision. Because if the referee's not worried about if that player's he's rolling around hurt, holding his head, is it a real head injury? Do I stop the game? Is he seriously hurt? It's you know, it's it's never ended. And neither being criticised for that very thing. You should have stopped the game. You shouldn't have stopped the game. Fans, play, clubs, getting upset at referees who stop the game because the players are injured. Look, blame the players for this. This is the culture within the game. Clubs will do absolutely anything to get an advantage on the pitch. Referees are there to make sure it's fair. It's very, very difficult when you've got clubs, players, constantly bending the rules 
and then complaining that the referees don't get it right. Look, <laughs> uh, to me, the responsibility starts with the players. It starts with the clubs. You know, there were certain managers throughout history, Brian Clough being one of them, never allowed his players to do this. Never. He was never attacked referees after the game. Never did any of that. Referees make mistakes, but do players make mistakes? Absolutely. They want to be forgiven for them. They want to say, yeah, I made mistakes, but I had a good game. Well, why not do that with referees? Yes, it hurts when your team's on the other end of sorry, but your team's on the other end of a losing uh, of a bad decision, and it costs you. But you can't turn around and say that um, you know referees should be held to a standard that players and managers aren't. Yeah, I think the other thing is as well is I forgot my completely blanked on what I was going to say then. Right. Scintillating point, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my god, it's gone. It's gone completely. So I'll just pretend it was a good point and move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> so moving on to United. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with the on-field before we go for the off-field. Um, so on paper, this year was always going to be the year that Jose would implode. He's his third season. He's done it before. You knew it was coming, or you thought it was coming. What was different, I think, this year was United extended his contract last year. So part of me was thinking, oh, maybe it'll be different. But pre-season, he was very critical of Martial. Was it this summer where Martial had a baby and he went away? And I think it was that. And you had Shaw was in, criticised in pre-season. And then the very first game of the season, there was issues with Pogba. And I think it was the first game where he said, I can't say anything in his interview. So straight away, in the first week of the season, there was tension. There was this undercurrent of negativity. And they weren't playing very well on the pitch. Um, Did you, at the start of the season, what were your expectations in terms of league finish and did you expect Jose to see the season out? Um, well, I think he just finished second uh, off his, uh, the season before. He'd won two trophies. I don't count the community shield. Um, wasn't overwhelmed by the business they'd done in the summer, but certainly didn't expect what was coming. Um, I, I think you know, it started to doubt Mourinho <clears throat> after Sevilla when they get knocked out to the Sevilla in the Champions League, um, which in many ways illustrates the lack of thinking and planning at United, where so many of the decisions are emotional. They gave him a new contract and then proceeded to undermine a guy that had just finished second um, six months later in the transfer market, which to me is is a disgrace. Mourinho, I, I, I think, uh, United had to get rid of him. But look, when you have a football club that is so, I've said this before, that defines their success by a profit and loss column, not a win-loss column, you have a serious problem. Every sponsor that United sign expects something in return. They expect players to advertise their brand, the product. When you have more sponsors than points, you're going to have a problem. So all these sponsors want the same players advertising their brands. So essentially, 
you've got eleven Billy Mays, you've got infomercials, you've got players that are basically up or selling crap for for brands just because they're paying for that privilege. And this is one of the reasons why, of course, United want players with large social media followings because they also sell out to sponsors. Listen, Paul Pug was going to advertise your stuff, right? How many times in the last under Woodward's shoot leads have you seen United go out and saying a young unknown 19 year old almost never happens right because it's not a football it's a lot isn't it yeah uh, it's a lot right but it almost never happens it's very rare you know and so Solskjaer wants to restore United back to that but United will look at that and say well I don't know if we want to spend a lot of money on young players that nobody's ever heard of that has no commercial value to us they may in a couple of years, but how many players have United developed and improved over the last few years? I mean, you can ram off 10, 15 players that haven't developed. So I think you have a problem with a conflict inside the football club between a football guy and a commercial guy. And the commercial guys always win. Van Hal said he didn't want United trips all over the United States for preseason. That's exactly what they did. Mourinho said, we only want to go, go to one coast. Well, they didn't. They went all over the country again. Um, commercial guys always win. Ferguson had a problem with that. Van Hall has already said this. It's not a football club. It's a, it, it's a business that happens to play football. Until that balance is restored and you actually want to profit through football success, not commercial success, then your priority isn't winning. Your priority is top four. You need to have commercial goals, not football goals. Commercial goal, Top four is a commercial goal. It's not a football goal. There's nothing to celebrate finishing fourth. I mean, it is for the money men upstairs. Right? It's great if you use it as a platform to, 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 as a springboard and buy better players to improve. But look at the two times they ended up qualifying for the Champions League in the last four years. They bought crap. Right? And so uh, they were parsimonious in the transfer market. So I think um, it's a business. And it's unashamedly a business since Ferguson retired and the succession plan since Ferguson left has been utterly appalling. And um, look... As long as you've got an executive vice chairman playing football manager and thinks he knows more than people who actually have won everything in the game, this is going to happen. And so, I don't know. It's it's uh, People take progress for granted this summer. I don't. The club hasn't made any progress since Ferguson left. And they're in exactly the same position they were in when he took over. A club that's capable of sporadic runs of form, uh, trying to catch Liverpool, trying to catch the rivals. And it's a squad made up of players that, yeah, are good players, but aren't aren't devout winners. Are people that you know when you, when Ferguson took over, he had to change the whole club. The culture inside the club was a a drinking culture. He just got it, changed it. Took him six years, and it was a football club back then, and with one of the greatest managers in the game. I, I don't think he didn't have the leadership to get out of this. Yeah, you can't see it. I can't see him giving anyone six years to to rebuild. Is the other thing. Um, well, no choice. No, no, they haven't. But, but whether it's one guy or not, I don't know. Solskjaer feels like he's under a bit of pressure already because of the end of the season. Um, so the last thing I just want to say on Jose is um, I always felt that he would have been a good fit for United straight after Fergie to try and keep that winning thread while they searched for a new long-term manager who was perhaps young or played the way they want to play, whatever the criteria they needed. But I felt that obviously Fergie hadn't been like a long-term plan for him to retire. It was fairly 
you know, quick decision or you know an unexpected decision. So I think Mourinho would have been a good fit for two years after Fergie left. But after you'd had Moyes and Van Hal, I never felt like he was the right man because he was never going to be there long term. So he was always going to, you were always going to be back in this position unless he won everything, which he was never going to do unless they gave him an open checkbook, which they never wanted to do, which is another issue is you sign a checkbook manager, you have to give him the checkbook to do what he does. They didn't do that to an extent. You know, he did spend money in that first season or two, but then they never, like they gave, like you said, they gave him an extension and then didn't back him in the transfer window in the summer. So it's, you know, what is he supposed to do with that when he's already told you that finishing second was his greatest achievement with this squad of players because they're not good enough? And he was kind of proved right. But when you talk about respect. a manager, you never have to decide, decide uh, who they're trying to compete with. Are they trying to compete with Arsenal or trying to compete with Barcelona? Because Barcelona just went out and bought Griezmann. They bought Delict, De Jong. They're about to buy Delict. Now, this is a team that won the league by quite some distance and also really should be in the Champions League final. That's unacceptable to them. Um, United, last, really, if you look at the last three windows, last summer, they, they, uh, the, the, the previous day, from Alexis Sanchez, which wasn't an improvement, the squad, then they bought Fred, Dalot, and Lee Grant. You can't really say that any three of those, maybe Dalot, to a somewhat degree, have improved in edit. Then this year, they, then in the January transfer window, they sold Fellini. So they haven't really strengthened that squad in a few years. So when you see Mourinho as a checkbook manager, no, if you never want to compete with the biggest teams in the world to win the biggest trophies in the world, then they have to bring in the best talent in the world. And, and, uh, or at least have a coherent strategy that buys players like Liverpool do that fit a system that are specifically designed for that. You can't turn around and say, do you know what? I need a right back and, Mar- and Woodward comes back two weeks later and said, I found you a midfielder. Can't do that. Yeah. Did, did, but see, this is why I don't believe, Mourinho was a better manager in 2013. And yes, he would have been a better appointment than David Moyes, but the, all the same problems that existed then still exist today. You still would have had to have dealt with Ed Woodward, not knowing what he's doing. I, I think it would have ended up exactly the same. I, I think it would have, you would have, because the, co- you know, you've got people talking about Manchester United DNA, which is a complete myth. How can earth can you ask for Manchester United DNA when the people above your head who run the football club and set the culture don't have it themselves? I mean, it's, it's a myth. Ed Woodward doesn't have Manchester United DNA. You know, that, that's, it's absurd to me. And, and the cheapest currency in football is rolling out in any sport, is rolling out legends when things aren't going well. And, you know, director of football, first of all, what is it? And secondly, how would Woodward know a good one from a bad one? There's nothing about football, no. right? No. And So until that leadership changes, this is changing the tires on a Ferrari. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and if we go, just go on to the director of football thing. Um, I think, like we discussed before when we did that quick show on uh, United, in that it's not just the director of football they need. They need an overall structure, a restructure off the field, off, away from the coaching, which actually supports the coaching staff. So the coaching staff want to play a certain way, a certain formation, 
and these are the players they need. So then the scouting network all across the world finds players who are good enough and fit the criteria the manager wants. And then you have your director of football who supports them and gets those deals done. At the moment, it feels so disjointed and so, like you say, they need how long have they needed a right midfielder for? Years. Well, I think the last one they had to was an out-and-out right midfielder. It was maybe Nani. Well, they signed Sanchez allegedly for that position, but um, he has never played. Well, well, he the the cost to keep him is is more than the cost to get rid of him at this point. So I think uh, again another signing that was made without serious thought given to how is this guy going to play. How is he going to complement what we do? And here you have a problem now of getting rid of these players because how many people are going to look at these players and go, do you know what? That's what we're missing. You know, because none of them look, look, look even of a, they don't even look Premier League standard. Uh, so uh, clearly talent is not an issue. Talent, talent, these players are clearly talented. That's not an, that's not an issue. Uh, but they're lacking all the basic things a professional should have. You know, <clears throat> The football pitch should be a sanctuary. If you've got problems going on in your personal life, most people, whatever sport they play, when they're in that arena, that's their escape from all the nonsense that goes on inside their life. Maradona's documentary is coming out where he talks about how important the football pitch was to get away from all those personal problems. Whatever you're doing in your personal life, the football pitch should be that sanctuary from all the nonsense. That should be the place where you're happiest. But these United players look like that's the place they least want to be. And all the nonsense that's going on in their personal life, they're almost celebrities that play football. And that's a problem, right? And so even when United had Beckham going through the celebrity stardom, they still can't manage to make sure he focused on his football. And that's still the guy that played for United, Real Madrid, PSG, AC Milan, right? He's still a, a superstar. And, and, and you don't get to those clubs because you can sell shirts. You have, no. to, have to contribute something. <clears throat> so I, I, think, I think, you know, I'm, I'm trying to single out a single decision that's been made since Ferguson retired that actually has gone right. I mean, you have to be a special type of idiot to spend 800 million and look this bad. So why on earth <clears throat> would we expect any change when no change has been made? We made an emotional decision with Solskjaer, which I supported. And neither in a horrendous position of starting to doubt whether he's the right guy, and most likely that'll be reflected. Neither they're in a situation where they know they have to spend massive amounts of money this summer to bring in the players that they need, and they're not convinced they've got the right guy in, in that position. And if he's not the right guy, do they want to keep doing this, keep rebuilding, buying hundreds of hundreds of millions of pounds of players? Certainly, that's not what the Glazers are in it for. No, it's definitely not. I think. It's, um, it's a weird position now because they won 12 games on the bounce or whatever. They all of a sudden looked better. I thought that people got a bit carried away because I didn't think they looked amazing. They were playing counter-attacking football and I thought he was tactically very good in those 12 games against teams like Spurs. And they were very good. But they, I didn't think they were like, you know, they weren't like the United of old, tearing teams apart. They were scoring goals. But a lot of it was on the break, soaking up a bit of pressure. They were certainly moving the ball quicker. But what has changed 
from those 12 games to then get two points from the last however many games it was. Apply it to your own life. We've all been in situations where we've made New Year's resolutions. And we stick with them for three or four weeks with massive enthusiasm and hunger, and, and we just revert back to normal, right? Because we just can't be arsed anymore, right? Because this requires discipline, it requires focus, it requires actually making changes in your life to be able to consistently do that. It also requires you to be addicted to the results of improvement. So most people, if they're not being put under pressure to achieve certain goals that make them uncomfortable, give up. So you can do it for a short period of time because form is temporary and class is permanent. You can show that you look great. You can show that because the talent is there, but the professional discipline, the professional focus that it takes to do that every single week is not there. The hunger is not there. The addiction to the result is not there. If it was there, United would have comfortably finished top four. Comfortably. But they didn't. And so you saw, you saw this temporary change. You know, it's kind of like a relationship. You get in a big fight, you go to marriage counseling, everything's great for a couple of months, and then it's back to normal. That's where they're at. Water finds its level. This is their level. So you've got nobody inside that dressing room that is demanding standards then they can't be dropped. We all adjust to our own working environment. If you go to a, a particular job and the environment in the office is high performance and anybody that doesn't high perform is gonna stand out and you're gonna look silly. You will do everything you can to maintain a certain level so that you don't look stupid, right? And so that you perform according to your peers. But if you've got an office where everyone's sitting scratching their arse, you know, looking at different things on the internet and munching stuff, and there's no discipline, you will eventually adjust to do the same thing. Yeah. So you need people in there that says, this is unacceptable. We must win. These standards are not good enough. Nobody does that at United. No, and I think <clears throat> it, was, it, was, it was mind-boggling to see the, the difference in effort from those 12 games where they all looked happy and motivated and like they would go through a brick wall for that manager, then all of a sudden, literally days later, they looked like they did when just before Mourinho got sacked. Like they didn't want to be on the pitch. They didn't want to play there. They didn't want the ball. They didn't want to run. They weren't motivated. And the only difference I could see, because I, I was looking earlier at just through some old like newspaper reports from around the time where they started to go downhill to see if there was any tabloid stories of, you know, arguments or some sort of big incident which maybe kicked it off. And I couldn't really find anything, nothing of note that would have been like, oh, maybe that caused a bit of a stir. The only things I could see was people like uh, Jones, Small in Young getting new contracts. Uh, you could, and you had obviously Herrera and other people who were negotiating. Then you had Solskjaer got the job, which you would think that everybody, players-wise, was happy with because they were all so happy for those 12 games under him. But something changed. And I wonder whether people like Pogba, Martial, maybe Lukaku, or those players who are seen as the upper 
echelon of talent in terms of ability of that squad are looking at those contract renewals and thinking, does the club have the same ambition as what I want to be? Because I've got to be honest, if I was Paul Pogba, now taking out, I'm not saying that he's been great or because he, he needs to do more every week. But if I'm him, when Solskjaer's come in and they're doing well, I'm thinking, good, we're going to get some quality in around me and we're going to really push on. And then you're seeing Ashley Young, who's playing dreadfully every week, get a new contract. Phil Jones, who can't stay fit for more than half a season and looks like he's got a mistake in him every game. Same with Smalling. They're all getting new contracts and suddenly those players are thinking, how are we going to push on with those same players getting long-term contracts? And not just that, like Ashley Young was continually picked while playing badly and captain. That's no excuse for anybody dropping their own standards. Oh, absolutely. No, no, I agree. You you can, like, I'm sure in just about every football team, players look at other players as inferior. That, that, That happens at every club, right? It happens in every business. Human beings have a particularly high opinion of themselves and usually think they're better than their colleagues or certainly better than some of them. Uh, so, yes, but if you look at some of the best players in the world, they haven't always played for the best teams. They didn't drop their standards. And I'm sure when Ronaldo came, he looked at people that were playing for United at the time and going, Kieran Richardson, it's crap. Right? These players are crap. Didn't have no impact on his development as a footballer. None. No. He was so determined to succeed. This is what Roy Keane was saying about players needing to motivate themselves. You're a professional athlete. Your job is to make sure you perform. You're paid as a professional. If your colleagues don't perform, you ask any striker, would they rather score two and lose or not score and win one? No. Most strikers will say they'd rather score two and lose because they'll feel like I did my job. Yeah. That's what I'm responsible for. My job. What everyone else does is up to them. And if these players aren't good enough for us to win, then I'm going to get a move somewhere else. How do you get a move somewhere else? By impressing. Right? So Anthony Martial's excuse for playing crap is actually young isn't very good. That's not an excuse. That shows you lack professionalism. Right? I mean, I, I can't get up and say I'm not going to work today because Jarlene in accounting is, is, is crap. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. You must hold yourself to a certain standard. And that, to me, is the mindset of a, if that ha- happens. Look, I can understand Pogba saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to stay three, four years to you build a team good enough to win the Premier League. I want to leave. Okay. I have no problem with players leaving. To me, it's about how you leave. Players leave, yeah. come and go. And, and when clubs have no use for a player, they'll, still, they'll either fire, they'll, they'll sell them, release them, just like they do with managers. So, therefore, I don't think clubs have any right to expect loyalty from players when they're not loyal themselves. It's a mutual relationship. You deliver, I deliver, I deliver, you deliver. Once one of them things stops happening, then players leave. Paul Pug was good enough to play for almost any team in the world. Um, I think at times he is heavily unfairly criticised. At times he's fairly criticised. Uh, but I can certainly understand why the leading, you know, leading goal scorer and leading assist in their in a woeful season would say, "I want to leave. Um, I won't miss him." But I do think the United fans that think it's a good thing that he leaves may be mistaken because we don't have too many world class football players that United can even sell for money, and he's one of the few. So um, I still want to see Paul Pogba in a, in a Man United team that's properly disciplined and settled. 
He played in the midfield three with Juventus. He has discipline in his performance. He's capable of it. You don't get to play in Serie A every week for a team that serially wins it without tactical discipline. So I think that um, the problems that he, when he says a virus, he's also caught the virus that exists in the United right? And it, and it was there before he got there, and it'll be there after he's gone because he isn't the biggest problem. No, he's not. And I think if what I was getting at is, is do you think that maybe that was the point, those contracts being dished out was a point where no. maybe those those players, where the morale, not then, obviously the morale, the motivation went, but maybe that's where the morale changed, where no. So what do you think caused that? Just, do you just I think, think it was just a lack of self? Like they weren't taking enough pride in their own performance? I think that, it just seemed uh, like morale went. Yeah, it, to me, it goes back to a couple of problems. First of all, it's almost an unmanageable football club. You cannot have a situation where you don't know who your boss is. So... If you work, again, I'll apply this to any any working environment. You go to work and you've got someone that has a title as your boss, but is constantly undermined by the guy above him. He says, you know what? I know he tells you to do this, but listen to me. Do what I tell you. If he tells you to do this and I tell you to do something else, do what I tell you. Okay? So if, you, if you've got Paul Pogba or any other player having their wealth determined at Manchester United, their worth determined based on their commercial value, then that's a problem. If Solskjaer says to the board, I want to get rid of this guy, you can't. He's worth too much to us commercially. Then what do you say to the players? You get exactly the same situation that happens at Chelsea. They don't respect their manager. They don't care what he says. They do what they want because they know that my, my employment here and my financial reward here is not based on anything you're telling me to do. You know, if United had an option of Paul Pogba never playing again for Manchester United, but his commercial value skyrocketed, they take that because the priority is not football. So when you have a bit, and, and look, the owners don't care about what fans think. They just don't care. The only time they care is when it affects sponsorship revenue. When you get a toxic atmosphere in the stands, that's when they start to care because it's hard to sell to sponsors, brand association with a club where the fans are really upset. So for me, I don't think it has anything to do with players getting renewed contracts because that still shouldn't affect their own individual performance. What it, I mean, I, you, there's very few players inside that Old Trafford dressing room that could expect to go to bigger and better clubs in the United. They haven't earned that. So I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. And I think, uh, look at Eden Hazard. He wants to go this summer. It didn't affect his performances all season. Well, you know, Chelsea are in my remedy, United in my opinion football club made up of superstars where the football manager doesn't make the decisions. You've got an alleged director of football in Marina Gravskaya, whatever the lady's name is, making decisions on who comes and who goes to Chelsea. And Maurizio Sarri gets told, well, then you're going to have problems in a dressing room. It's simple as that because they don't respect anyone that has no authority over them. That is the fundamental issue. Yeah. And I think when the players don't respect whether it's they don't respect the manager or they're not respectful of the structure that's in place above the manager, it's going to affect how they see their day-to-day job. It shouldn't affect their effort and their motivation, 
but it's going to. And I think United's fundamental problem since Fergie left, and maybe even a little bit before he left, is they haven't got this structure off the field best set up to support the on-field or the when I say on-field, they include the coaching staff. They ha- it's just not set up to to be like a fluid, cohesive unit where. That's because United don't attach any value to uh, winning trophies at the minute, right? I mean, that's a nice secondary bonus, but let me put it like this to you. <clears throat> if winning the Premier League got you a trophy, but 50 million less than mid-table, United's goal would be mid-table. It's simple as that. And it's been that a success. But, that, no, but see, this is exactly what happens when you've got a, a, a sporting club that's unashamedly a business. In America, they don't particularly care about the monetization and commercialization of sports. They're, they expect that here. We still have a bit of a problem with it because culturally, it's not something we're used to. But, you know, you could get away with this in the league before, before Man City and Chelsea had money. But now you can't get away with it. Because nine clubs that are run that buy football players to win football games like City do, rather than for uh, an, an internet influencer, you can't expect to compete with them. Let me put it like this. With Guardiola be winning with two league titles on the bench with Small and Young, Jones and Shaw as back four? Of course he wouldn't. And nobody who's serious with winning them out. Well, of course not. Nobody. It's been blatantly obvious to anyone that they're not good enough to win you league titles. They lack the basic things that you need. I don't even think they get into a bottom half Premier League team. But they're still there for two reasons. Because it's cheaper to keep them and because United don't want to go out and replace them. They could have had Alderweireld. Listen, Alderweireld was halfway to United in the last day of the window for $25 million last season. And they still said no. So... Well, to me, I think that was a reflection of their lack of confidence in Mourinho and the fact that they were already thinking about sacking him. Uh, 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 so I don't know. So it, it, for United to catch Liverpool and in, in, in City, it doesn't have to be five or six years. But to me, uh, it could be 30 years. If they don't change how that football club is run, and that football club will not change how it's run until the ownership changes. And that's what that was uh, my next question actually is how is Woodward's ineptitude on the football side flown under the radar for so long? Is it simply because he makes so much money for, from sponsorships and commercial deals? that the Glazer's just happy because he's getting so much money into the club from that side of it. Because it's clear for everyone to see that he's not doing his, he's not doing his job properly in getting the right managers in to get the right players in to support those managers. Every single manager since Fergie has complained about lack of backing or cohesive backing, if you want to call it that. No, he's doing exactly what the owners are telling him to do. He, this is why United won't give up control of transfers. This is why he's in the position that he's in. He's doing exactly what the owners tell him to do. So I do question why they've let him waste so much money. Um, 
and why United have had five managers in six years. You know, they went from Moyes, Giggs, uh, Van Hal, Mourinho, Solskjaer, and if Ole gets off to a bad start, it'll be someone else, and it'll be ripped up and started again. At, but see, this is exactly what you should expect. This is what would happen if I was left to pick an NFL coach, right? I would base my opinion based purely on what I know, stats, the obvious things. He's a bit shoot, he's won trophies, but nothing about the nuance of how they've won, what was required to win. Nothing about that. So I, what I question is, 55, you know, Bernardo Silva tore United to shreds a couple of weeks ago. City paid 37 million for him. United paid 52 for Fred. I can't imagine they're selling a lot of Fred shirts. Right? I, that's the part that I question. Pogba, 80 million, you, you, United have already recovered that money. Right? You, I doubt they, they can sell that a waste. Lukaku, they could still recover a decent chunk of that fee. Right? But the other signings, I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. But it, it look, United's evaluation of players and whether it's success or failure or not's not based on football. And so as a fan, we look at it completely differently. As a as a business, look, this is why Rooney survived at United for so long, because he was worth so much commercially. It's a, it's a sad um, um I think it's a sad situation because you know Manchester United, the Britain's most successful club, are no longer basing what they term as success on the football pitch. And I find that a really disheartening, almost depressing thought. Yeah. But like you say, it won't change without the owners changing. And obviously there's been some rumours of late um, about like some, I'm not sure the name of the people, but like, people based in Dubai or Saudi Arabia, I think it was, um, to take over the club. Um, I don't want to touch politics and stuff like that. Um, so just a quick hypothetical question before we move on quickly to some other stuff. Um, if you were in charge of the club, so say you were a director of football, there was no man, or you, could, you had an open checkbook, you could keep who you want and you could replace who you want. Who would you keep? That's there now. Oh, Jesus. You could move in as many as you want and take in as many as you want. Very few. Would stay. I would, I would let most of the kids stay. I would keep Rashford. I know a lot of people are um, it splits the opinion, but the suit is just a bit of a United player. I still see a lot of things in Rashford. I see effort. I see desire. I see hunger. He's in poor form, but that can be rectified. Um, I would still keep the hair. I would keep Lindelof, Dalot. I would keep. Um, I'd say to that, Luke Shaw is not good enough. Uh, Ashley Young not good enough. Small and Jones not good enough. Fred not good enough. Maddox not good enough. Um, Ander Herrera, I may, I don't know. Uh, if you want the three hundred grand a week, they were right to let him go. Uh, Mata needs to be moved on. Martial, if he doesn't want to play, needs to be moved on. Um, Lukaku doesn't fit the way he needed to play. He's, they don't play with a large target man the way they want to play. Um, so those would be the, the, the obvious, Alexis Sanchez, obviously. Um, you know, so I, I would, those would be the obvious. But the, it, getting the players out is one thing. While you need to have the ability to improve on what they've got, that is what I am concerned about. <clears throat> yeah, the, I think their biggest problem is 
they need to get rid of so much, but then they also need to, they need to get in a number of quality players without moving anyone out. When you start moving players out, you've got to move more players in again. And I don't have the confidence that Ed Woodward is capable of moving even five players out and five players in, let alone any larger number than that. Yeah, I, I have my doubts whether they have the competence to do that myself. But, um, you know, we will see. We will see what they do over the yeah. summer. Um, the only time... <laughs> The only time we'll see changes is when the Glazers start getting affected in the pocketbook. And eventually, the lack of success on the pitch will, will affect them financially. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, do you want Spurs to beat Liverpool? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean... Then, is, Klopp, is Klopp's season a failure again if mm. he fails to win those two trophies? I would say if he was a Spurs manager, no. But a club like Liverpool that defends itself by trophies, he wasn't brought in to finish second or lose another final. And nobody will remember how great they were two or three years from now. The fact is they didn't win it. Uh, the fact is City were battered. Yes, the margin was tiny. And yes, to me, he's done an unbelievable job with the players at his disposal to get that type of consistency out of them. But Liverpool is one of the biggest football clubs in the world. And you know, when you never finished second, it was a small consolation. Because mm. you're, you're still second. Even though the points gap was much bigger. Still the same position. Um, I think for Klopp to be, he, he said it himself, if he's four or five years without a trophy, he, he would have to leave and go to Switzerland. Um, so in that sense, yes, I would say it's been failure. If he, if he wins the Champions League, magnificent success. Look, you talked about Cardiff going down with some rugby decisions on penalties. The line between success and failure is minuscule. Liverpool sneak through, right, against Barcelona. Spurs should have went out to Man City. Spurs should have went out to Ajax. Right? Both of them scraped through. You know, United should have went out to PSG. They didn't. The, the, the lines are really, really small. And so I think uh, Liverpool will win that final as firm favourites. But... You know, Spurs will have Harry Kane back. Son is playing out of his skin, and uh, it'd be interesting to see how Liverpool react emotionally to not winning the league. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Do you think that, like Liverpool, Liverpool now three times have been top at Christmas in recent memory and failed to go on and win the league? Do you think that eventually starts to become, or if it hasn't already? becomes a psychological thing within the club where it starts to where they get to that run in of the season they start to get a bit nervy and a bit shaky because they've never got over the or they haven't got over the line for so long you can't say that because if you look at their form towards the end of the season I think what they won the last 14 games it's truly unbelievable uh, and when you look at when United lost it in 81, the Leeds, when they had it won and basically lost it over Easter, they come back and won it the following year. It, mm. it can have the different impacts. I just question whether Liverpool can get 97 points again next season. Um, and whether, you know, I think Liverpool and City drove each other on and improved each other. I don't think Guardiola will be here for another three, four years. So certainly they could win it during Klopp's tenure, but 
it's going to be really difficult to improve Liverpool because it's the quintessential team. Individually, you know, they don't have too many spectacular individuals. Maybe Van Dijk and Allison are the two world-class players, but the rest, it's all about a unit. Salah's close to a world-class player. Um, outside of that, you know, it's it's a modest squad to me. James Milner, Jordan Henderson, Jeannie Wijnaldum, you know, these are these are not Galacticos. These are not superstars. These are very good players that play well within a team. So you have to go and get a player that fits the way they play and can fit into that system. And it's not easy, as you saw with Fabinho and Naby Keita, that takes time. So it's not obvious to go out and improve Liverpool by we're going to buy Coutinho or buy one of these players that are magnificently gifted. They improve when they get rid of Coutinho. So I don't know how much more they can improve. And they're not the biggest payers in the world. So Salah is vulnerable. Um, so to me, I think uh, they have small windows of when they can capitalize on stuff, when they get a squad together. As soon as they didn't win the league last time, Sterling, Suarez, they all left. This is going to be the challenge for Liverpool now to make sure these players don't leave. And they can keep them and they can improve. Um, I don't know. It, but Klopp's done an exceptional job. But if he didn't win anything, I mean, Mourinho was sacked six months after finishing second. It's not enough for a big club. No, no, it's not. <clears throat> But um, yeah, I find it interesting to, you know, just how how many years of not quite getting over the line before you sort of yeah it becomes a thing if you get me. But um, you mentioned Leeds there. I just uh, quickly, um, Dan James will be an outstanding signing for Man United in my opinion. He mm-hmm. um, he will be a superstar in a few years. He's the type of player who will get people off their feet. He's, he works hard, he's young, he's quick. And I think that he would be a very good sign-in for Solskjaer, mm. particularly if you can get rid of Sanchez and bring in Dan James. He's not going to cost a great deal. He's not going to be on 500 grand a week. But I'd be willing to bet that if you gave him a run of games, he'd do more than Sanchez has done this season. Um have you seen much of uh, Dan James? Other than highlight clips, not much. Um, uh, it's difficult to f- form an opinion. I mean, obviously, I've heard other people's opinions. I've heard Welsh guys talk about him. And, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I think, saying that a young 21-year-old, as long as United aren't expecting him to come in, it'd be the starting way player. Um, why not? United need to supplement their squad with more young players that are that can come off a bench, make an impact, and that uh, they, they give them hope for the future. So I think they need an established wide player, but if he was signed as a backup, why not? Yeah, and I think people forget, don't they, that you know United signed Ronaldo as a, you know, was he 18? 17. Pretty, un- pretty 17, 18, pretty unknown. And they developed him. That's what they used to do, was buy these quality well, sort of young players and Ronaldo make them into superstars. Ronaldo developed himself for me because mm. he would have done that at any football club in the world. If you'd have had him at FC Baku, you'd still get the best player in the world, but I know what you mean. I mean, but see, that's what I'm saying at a football club. Nobody can develop you. You have to develop yourself. They're, all the facilities are there or everything. Coaching is just there to refine your game. You can never teach you the essence of the game. Coaching is there to refine you, improve you, to take away bad habits, but everything has to be done by you. You know, if you're not out every day 
working your your arse off and 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 trying to improve, then coaching's a waste of time. Because all someone can do is, is teach you good habits. They they can't teach you how to play a game. That has to be done yourself. You give if I was to give you a sixteen year old who'd never played the game before and said teach him football, you can't. They need to, the essence of the game is always learned by yourself, and then a coach refines your game. But if if someone doesn't want to do it and doesn't have the hunger to do it, you you can have a thousand Johan Cruyffs. You'll never turn a player out. It doesn't matter. No, I said to my boy the other day that uh, Ronaldo is the single most motivated player that I've ever seen in my 37 years of life. Just his will to keep himself in shape, to improve. Even now, was he 34, 35 now? Still got like an ounce of fat on him. Still, you know, playing in Italy, scoring goals. He's lost a yard of pace, so he's changed his game. Uh, So you can find Phil, is it uh, Act? Malachians, isn't it? On yes, Twitter. mate, at Malachians, and I'm happy to come back anytime and do it. Uh, at, give me a shout at Malachians, that's M A L A C H I A N S on Twitter. At, uh, that's the best place to find me. Cool. And you can find us on at AceCast underscore Nation. Uh, most of all, subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is Ace Podcast Nation. Uh, that's the best, the quickest way to support the show. Uh, cheers, Phil, and uh, cheers, Thanks, everyone, man. for watching and listening. <laughs>